Welcome, everybody, to Dragon Quest FM, where we talk about and obsess over Dragon Quest. I'm Austin. I'm Frank Plasty. <laughs> and I totally forgot we were supposed to use names. I'm Joe Questy. Yeah. Joe Questy. Yeah. Frank Questy's here, and it's week two of our Dragon Quest Mysteries episode. Um, um, this time, uh, the Questy boys are back on the prowl for Dragon Quest Mysteries, and we may have solved a couple cases along the way. Yeah. Maybe. Possibly. Yeah. Yeah. So... Following up with our Dragon Quest mysteries from last week, uh, I did want to mention a couple of like retractions, corrections, I guess. Right. The first one actually comes from Brad Anderson, who let us know that Madison is actually what the Dragon Quest V hero is called in DQ6, whenever you can travel to like the other worlds and everything. Uh, so he does appear canonically in a game as Madison and it's Abel in the Japanese version because that's the name suggestion that your dad gives you if you play Dragon Quest V in Japanese. So I thought that was pretty cool. Thought, and thanks, Brad, for you know uh, pointing that out to us too. So that's been really neat uh, seeing how some of these other mysteries have played out. So right. we have some more uh, going on through today that should be pretty interesting pretty interesting to talk about yeah uh, i totally forgot to mention you talking actually reminded me that uh bj's jaw is messed up he heard it uh for those of you who've listened to some past episodes you know that his jaw is all a mess <laughs> <laughs> and so he's not gonna be talking much in today's episode mm-hmm. he's might be a little quieter than usual so uh for those of you who are annoyed by bj's voice <laughs> uh then uh, you might enjoy today's episode a little bit more. Uh, for those of you who enjoy listening to BJ talk for extended periods of time, then you may be disappointed. But uh, he's not supposed to be talking very much outside of the occasional, like, yes, no, I think this, I think that. So I was supposed to announce that at the beginning of this episode, and I totally forgot. So mystery number six, getting back into that. Why did the series used to be called Dragon Warrior in the States? So We've mentioned this, I believe, on the show before, right? Right. Yeah, and it all it all goes back to TSR having a D&D board game. So TSR, they're the creators, you know, for Dungeons and Dragons. And they had this board game. It was called Dragon Quest in the 80s. The name was trademarked, and TSR was a pretty formidable company by that time uh, with, you know, Dungeons and Dragons had started taking off more uh, by the 80s. And so Enix, they went with Dragon Warrior instead to uh, to avoid that kind of trademark conflict. I think, I don't know for certain, but I think based on what I've read from D&D, what I've read on Dragon Quest, and I even recently read like a, a book that was about the history of D&D. It was like an official history thing. It was it's called like uh Arts and Arcana. And it was pretty interesting, but one of the things it talks about is, is Wizards of the Coast who owns Dungeons and Dragons now buying out TSR. And I think maybe that whenever Wizards of the Coast bought out TSR, maybe a lot of the old trademarks that weren't being used uh, kind of went. And that's why Dragon Quest started using its actual Dragon Quest title in the West when Dragon Quest VIII dropped over here. I think it had to do with that. Uh, Again, I don't know. It's just looking at the timeline of Wizards of the Coast buying out TSR and... 
Dragon Quest getting its actual Dragon Quest name, that those kind of seem to line up a bit. And so I'm wondering if that's if that's actually why, if it's because Wizards of the Coast have bought out D&D and just didn't care anything about carrying on the, the Dragon Quest board game. So this actually brings us to mystery number seven, uh, which is why did Dragon Quest VII look so outdated when it released? What happened? And mystery number seven <laughs> is about Dragon Quest VII. <laughs> so DQ7, it originally released in, in 2000. And we've talked about Dragon Quest VII a whole, whole lot. You guys heard me do like numerous deep dive episodes on Dragon Quest VII over the holidays. So we've talked about Dragon Quest VII a whole, whole lot. So I'm not going to necessarily uh, go into this a, a whole lot today. But I do want to discuss kind of the graphics and stuff that we touched on in previous episodes, but we never completely explored. So why did Dragon Quest VII, which came out in 2000, uh, look super outdated, even by the standards of then? Uh, like, what happened? There's a few things uh, that I think made Dragon Quest VII look outdated when it released. Uh, first, production. It took an insanely long time compared to a lot of Dragon Quest games, right? Right. So when... Dragon Quest Seven development started. Uh, it wasn't really outdated. I mean, if it, it took like what eight years, I think, for development for this game. So if you go back, it's like when when development started on Dragon Quest Seven, then they weren't outdated graphics. And then after things kept you know happening and happening and happening, then it just the date keeps getting pushed further and further back. The graphics keep looking a little bit more and more older than they should. And Yuji Hori even admitted that they may have gone a little overboard uh, with the story <laughs> in an interview from back in 2002. He said they weren't bogged down by memory constraints so much on the PS1, so they just packed the game full of content. And he even said, yeah, maybe we went a little overboard with it. But because of that, they kept falling further and further behind in development. There was another reason for this not just because they didn't have these these memory constraints anymore so they were going nuts so with the the uh with the story there was also development delays because of heartbeat uh their kind of diminishing relationship with enix which we've talked about a bit in previous episodes true that they were not getting the contract for dragon quest 6 just handed to them they're having to put in an offer and they didn't like that because of all the other work they had done and so between Heartbeat's kind of diminishing relationship here with Enix and the memory constraints that they didn't have with a PlayStation console, I think all of that pushed development back and it kept pushing it further and further and further back. And I think that's why Dragon Quest VII looks so outdated. Even, even when it originally released, it looked outdated. And I think that's probably, probably why, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, it makes, it makes sense that that would be why uh, this would happen, which kind of brings us over to mystery number eight. Now, this is a big one. Uh, I actually wrote a post on that this week, and I, I thought this was pretty cool. So there's a fan theory uh, that, that you didn't actually know about no. until, yeah, until I was telling you about it. So according to uh, this fan theory out there is that Ashlyn in Dragon Quest VI is actually the golden dragon, that mysterious golden dragon uh, that you see a few times in the game and uh, and it's on the cover of the Super Famicom version of the game. Yep. So some spoilers, I guess, I should say, for uh, Dragon Quest VI are about to follow. 
So if you don't want to know Dragon Quest VI spoilers, uh, maybe skip ahead, you know, a few minutes here, about five minutes here. According to this fan theory, Ashlyn is the mysterious golden dragon that you see in the game. Uh, the other characters who need to reunite their spirits with their bodies do, except for Ashlyn. She's always stuck in her like dream version. She's stuck in that version of herself, no matter what. And so people were like, huh, I wonder, I wonder why that's the case. Why doesn't she ever, you know, find her body? Everybody else finds their body. What's the deal? The other reason for this fan theory, there's there's a couple of reasons why people think this is a a thing. And I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of say all of this stuff and then say why maybe that's n- not the case. Mm-hmm. So the other characters who need to reunite with their bodies do. Mm-hmm. And then Ashlyn, a little bit later on, uh, so the game opens up with with the, the hero Millie Carver, they're hanging out at this at this campsite here on a cliff outside of Murdoch's castle. That's how the game begins, and then it flashes back. So previous to that, once you get caught back up to that part of the game, uh, you find out you're on a ship, and Ashlyn is like, "Hey, uh, I think I'm just going to stay on the ship," and she's very pushy about it. She gives no explanation really for why she wants to stay on the ship, but everybody else goes off to, to Murdoch's keep, except for Ashlyn, which seems kind of suspicious. Um, and it seems a little convenient that she just stays on the ship for like no reason, right? Yeah. 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 And so when she, when the others go to Murdoch's castle, Ashlyn's not with them. And then the dragon comes in. They, Millie has an ocarina that she plays, you know, call the dragon. They, they ride on the dragon to Murdoch's keep. It's it's kind of a it's got a cool cinematic on the DS version. I don't know exactly about how this all plays out on the Super Famicom, but it is similar similar to to that. And so anyway, so it flies in. There's like this big spectacle and all that. And during the DS mobile versions of this game, Dragon Quest Six, Ashlyn and the dragon are never present at the same time. Like they're they're never together, which is which is one of the big reasons why people are like, hey, what if she is the dragon? Like, it seems suspicious. She stays here on the ship and she is never around the dragon at the same time. So so maybe uh, that could happen. The other reason that people believe this is because there, there's an NPC in Sorceria, which is like Ashlyn. You know, she comes from this like long line uh, of sorcerers. She's like the. She has some kind of, she's like a reincarnation or a descendant of some famous sorceress. Uh, I mean, there's, she's a very important magically. And she says something, one of the NPCs says something along the lines of like, she's so powerful. I bet she could turn into anything, even a dragon, which, dun, dun, dun. which might sound, which might sound innocent enough because an NPC just saying that it doesn't. It could just mean that the NPC is in awe of her. But if you take into account the fact that she's never around the dragon and that she never finds her body, but yet she can turn into anything because she's so powerful. And then it's the fact that the NPC drops that little dot, 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 even a dragon that kind of that kind of makes it seem like Ashlyn is the dragon. So now that I've kind of I've kind of mentioned all of those things, this this discussion, uh, we've got to we got to mention a few a few other things as well. So in in interviews, Yuji Hori has admitted that he wasn't able to give attention to Dragon Quest six the way he wanted. 
because of Chrono Trigger. Chrono Trigger was keeping him busy and he couldn't focus on DQ6 the way he wanted. I'm 100% sure this is why he's never done another spinoff. He did that with Chrono Trigger and then since then it's just been Dragon Quest, Dragon Quest, Dragon Quest. And I think it's because of the way he feels it affected his work and the quality of Dragon Quest VI. Even though I personally love Dragon Quest VI, I know it's kind of a a controversial game in the fandom people either love it they hate it or they're just like meh and i think meh is kind of the the general consensus which is sad because i think it's a really good game but yuji hori has said yes i was busy working on chrono trigger and there was a subplot which involved ashlyn that golden dragon millie uh, who has the ocarina and, and the goddess rubis and and that's the rubis gives millie the ocarina to call the dragon he admitted there was a subplot in this game that involved all of that that was never fully developed and had to be cut. So, no, he does not come right out and say, hey, yes, Ashlyn is supposed to be the dragon. But, I mean, that does seem to suggest that, hey, there was something going on with Ashlyn and the dragon that just didn't get put into the game. He also said in a live video for, for Dragon Quest X, which, by the way, I have a... Uh, I, so I wrote this out for Dragon Quest Austin, and you can find it on DragonQuestAustin.com. Uh, there's links to this stuff uh, in that post, too. We're going to link to that post, and then you can find other links inside of that post, if that makes sense. Seems simpler to just do it that way instead of including a bunch of links uh, in today's show notes. So, Yuji Hori video for Dragon Quest X back in like 2014, I believe it was. So it's been a while since Dragon Quest VI, <laughs> since Dragon Quest VI came out. But he had, he said that, yeah, you know, uh, I guess it does. It does seem an awfully lot like Ashlyn is the dragon, which I think is probably the closest we'll ever get to hearing Yuji Hori just say, yeah, Ashlyn is the dragon. I think the fact that he's like, oh, yeah, the evidence does seem to point that way. Uh, is kind of indicative that, yes, she is. We have some reasons why she's she's not the dragon. And I got to talk about those two. So on the cover of volume one of the manga that's based on Dragon Quest VI, Ashlyn, she's clearly riding on the back of the dragon. Like the dragon, the artwork obviously looks different because there's a different artist. But if you, if you look, it's definitely supposed to be that golden dragon. And when I saw her riding that, I was like, okay, that's weird. That seems to kind of say once and for all, no, she's not the dragon. Yeah. Uh, again, depending on how you feel about about manga being canon and all that. So I asked on the internets, uh, on Twitter, I asked people, hey, uh, does anybody have this manga? Can anybody tell, tell me some stuff about it? Because it's in Japanese, and then it's been re-released in Spanish uh, very recently. And so thankfully, there were some international Dragon Quest fans who were able to help me out with the manga. So here's the thing about the manga before we get into any discussions about about canon or or not. Uh, the first one is in volume one, she doesn't actually ride the dragon. It's just the cover, which is nothing new for manga or comics or anything. Uh, sometimes you see things on, on covers that don't actually happen inside of that manga. So that's not surprising that that doesn't happen there. Uh, so other people were like, hey, yeah, I've got like the first eight copies and she's never with the dragon at the same time. Right. Inside, inside the yeah, inside the actual manga editions. So, I think that that means that she. 
I, I think the volume one was the cover was maybe just a mistake because it seems like she's not always present in the together in the manga. Although, so I think for me, and this is what I said in the in the post that I wrote, is that it really just depends on what you consider canon. Do you consider manga to be canon, or do you or do you just consider it to be something separate? And I tend to think it's separate. You know, I actually don't have any opinion on this. I haven't played six and have absolutely no context for the idea that she's a dragon. I honestly don't know anything about the dragon or her. So I read your article about it and was like, absolutely no clue, no context. So I'm going to say, um, sure, sure, sure. She's a dragon. I don't know, because I want to be a dragon and I'd like her to be a dragon. I don't know her, but. Cool. Dragon. Dragon lady. Cool. Uh, apparently, she's also around the dragon in the Super Famicom version. If players go back to that cliffside campsite I mentioned earlier, uh, then then they can be together. But but I do want to mention that they took that out of the Super Famicom, of the DS remakes. Uh, it's in the Super Famicom version, but they that they cut it out of the DS remake. So maybe just kind of, this is pure speculation on my part, but maybe they knew that that was a mistake and they were like, okay, this is clearly a mistake. Uh, we're, we'll fix it for the DS remakes. And that's why you couldn't, you couldn't see the dragon back at the cliffside campsite with Ashlyn uh, on, in the DS versions. So I, I personally, I think that yeah, she probably is. I mean, especially between Yuji Hori saying, "Yeah, the evidence seems to seems to point this way." I think that she probably is the dragon, even if it's not explicitly said in the video game, or and it hasn't been explicitly said by by Yuji Hori or, or someone else who worked on the game. I still think the chances are probably good that yeah, Ashlyn is actually the golden dragon that you see in the game. Which brings us over to mystery number nine number nine is actually the last mystery for the questy boys to solve in today's episode now this one is actually something that i have long wondered about that i've never been able to find a good answer to and now thankfully with the help of a dragon quest fan in japan we have managed to find the answer to this yeah question is did Akira Toriyama actually draw everything in Dragon Quest XI? Now, here's the kind of reasoning behind all of this, okay? For, for a long time now, people have wondered, okay, is Akira Toriyama really drawing everything for Dragon Quest? And the answer, of course, of course is no. There's definitely art and official art out there for Dragon Quest games that Toriyama yep. doesn't, uh, doesn't draw. All right, so... Sorry, we actually, uh, BJ had to leave because he is, uh, his jaw is, is hurting so bad. So he's not going to be joining us for the last part of, of this episode. So if you don't hear him talking at all, uh, that is why. But now getting back into to the episode here, uh, we got to talk about Akira Toriyama and his drawings. So Anyway, people were talking about, okay, did Toriyama really draw this stuff or did he did he not draw it? There's even been sometimes when I'll post things on online that is not art from Toriyama, but it's some Dragon Quest, like the Monsters Plus manga, and somebody will 
comment about it being Toriyama art. And I don't take the time to correct them because I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be the guy that's like pushing up his glass and is like, <laughs> actually. So I just kind of, I kind of let it hang and leave it alone. But a lot of fans wonder, okay, did Akira Toriyama actually draw everything specifically in 11? Because that's the newest, the newest Dragon Quest game. Another reason for this is because Toriyama, he owns his own studio, Bird Studio, uh, which is in charge of designing characters, monsters, etc., all of this stuff for Dragon Quest games. So when DQ11 artwork was first revealed, some fans were like, I don't know, this doesn't look like Toriyama. And some people were like, okay, this does look like Toriyama. And now we have an answer, kind of, uh, thanks to someone who reached out on the show. Uh, their name is completely in Japanese, but I translated it. Uh, and it translates into after school boy. So I'm going to call them after school boy. So if that's not what they really meant by that, uh, by that Twitter handle, then I apologize. They, they did some research for us and they've shared this with us. We're going to share it in today's show notes so that you guys can read it. It's in like a long Google doc. It's pretty interesting, but it's basically discussing the different art style changes between Toriyama and other artists. So basically Toriyama has designed all the main characters, which we knew already. This is discussed in that too, but but Toriyama himself has said that he designed the main characters. They've said, yes, Toriyama has designed all the main characters. He also did the cover illustration, the illustration that's on the reversible cover if you buy the game here in the States. It's just the normal cover if you buy the 11S version on Switch. He drew that illustration. Uh, everything else, though, is apparently... Uh, from other artists inside Bird Studio. Presumably Toriyama signed off on them uh, because of the way contracts and things work. One of the artists usually draws the Dragon Quest stuff to appear in like V-Jump and things like that. It's not Toriyama, it's different artists. So they draw these based off of Toriyama's initial character designs. Even some of the more famous drawings of like Hendrick and things like that aren't really Toriyama. They're based off of Toriyama's designs, but Toriyama did not actually draw them. So if you're shocked by this, you really shouldn't be. This kind of thing isn't rare. Uh, once an artist gets famous, it's common for them to have their own studio and other artists who do work for them. I think I even mentioned in a previous episode, uh, Yashitake Omano. He's famous for Final Fantasy, among other things. Uh, I read his biography last year. And it talks about him doing the same thing in that biography where you have new up and coming artists who are good at recreating your style and you hire them to work for you because the workload just gets too big. And then you sign off on stuff or you you start to draw something, you get them to color it in for you, you get them to fix this, fix that, where it's not just one person working on a piece of art anymore. So if you are shocked that Toriyama doesn't do every piece of Dragon Quest art, then you really shouldn't be because, I mean, it's a, it's a lot. So, yes, yeah, so I'm going to link to this because there's some pretty interesting findings in this. And, and the findings all have links and citations. Uh, so to, you know, kind of help back up these statements and all. So be sure to check that out if you're interested in it. And uh, again, thank you to After School Boy for sending this along to us, letting us read it giving us links to stuff, seeing it all ourselves, because it was actually very, very interesting to know that from what it seems like, the main characters in 
11 and that cover illustration or what Toriyama has done. He basically did one illustration for each of the characters. And then after that, people from Bird Studio or wherever did the rest of the drawings. So that's kind of our answer for did Akira Toriyama draw everything in DQ11? No, he didn't. But <laughs> uh, this is uh, it's still cool to see what he what he did draw and, and what he didn't draw. So so for people who were like, hey, this doesn't look like a Toriyama design um, about Silvando or Hendrick or whatever. Well, it was a Toriyama design. Just maybe that illustration you're looking at is not a Toriyama design. So that about does it for today's Questy Boys Part 2 episode. Uh, hopefully, BJ will be able to be back and say much more uh, next week. He has like a weird jaw alignment thing. And if he talks very much, which people who listen to this show should know that he likes to talk a lot. If he talks very much, it hurts and uh, and all that stuff. So hopefully he will be feeling better and be back to join us in full uh, in his full excited self, uh, next week. Um, I know he's really been, uh, hurting this week, so hopefully he'll feel better, uh, next week. But thank you guys so much for joining us for part two of Dragon Quest Mysteries. Uh, and hopefully you, uh, you learned something kind of interesting today because honestly, it's been very interesting for us to kind of find these mysteries, to try to solve them and having other people send us stuff. Again, uh, some a lot of the stuff that we talked about in today's episode was sent to us by people. So if you have some mystery you want us to discuss in a future episode of the show, or if we mention something in today's episode that you think is inaccurate or that you just don't agree with, uh, make sure you let us know. Remember, you can find us on Twitter at DragonQuestFM. You can also find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash DragonQuestFM. If you want to talk to me individually, you can totally do that. I am on Twitter at DragonQuestin. I also have a Dragon Quest blog. Uh, there's a few new posts up there uh, from the last couple of weeks. That is at DragonQuestAustin.com. And remember to catch up on episodes of my other podcast. It's called JRPGs and Me. If you want to talk to BJ, you can do that. He's on Twitter at Professor Beach. He has another podcast called the geek to geek podcast which you can listen on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts, they're there too. If you want to read some other stuff from people in the network, uh, be sure to check out geek2geekmedia.com where you can find posts, not just my posts on Dragon Quest, but on all sorts of other video games, tabletop RPGs like Dungeons and Dragons, and all sorts of just other fun stuff. So we will see you guys next week. Bye-bye.